You're listening to Enchanted, a podcast on the history of magic, sorcery, and witchcraft. I'm Corinne Wieben. In his Seven Books on the Art of War, the 16th-century Italian political philosopher Niccolò Machiavelli described the siege of Ravaldino, a fortress belonging to Caterina Sforza, Lady of Forli, and defended by the lady herself against the combined armies of the Pope and the King of France. Though the fortress eventually fell, Machiavelli blamed not Caterina, but the fortress's design, writing, the fortress was divided into three parts, with water between them, and one passed from one place to another by means of bridges, so that the forces of the duke, having entered that part without opposition, immediately seized all of it, for they became masters of the bridges that connected the parts with each other. The poorly built fortress, therefore, brought disgrace to the magnanimous enterprise of the countess, who had the courage to face an army which neither the King of Naples nor the Duke of Milan had faced. When Caterina was captured and taken to Rome after the fall of Ravaldino, she was put on trial for attempting to assassinate the Pope with a letter containing poison. While historians disagree on whether this accusation is credible, most admit that it could be true. Caterina, you see had an interest in the study of medicines, cosmetics, and alchemy. In this episode, I bring you the story of the Tigress of Forli, Caterina Sforza, one of the great rulers, warriors, and alchemists of Renaissance Italy. Born in Milan in 1463, Caterina was the illegitimate daughter of Galeazzo Maria Sforza and his mistress, Lucrezia Landriani. Only a few years after her birth, Caterina's father became Duke of Milan, positioning Caterina to one day marry into a prominent Italian family. By 1471, the new pope, Sixtus IV, anxious to raise his family's status, proposed a marriage between his nephew, Girolamo Riario, and the powerful Gonzaga family of Mantua. Girolamo traveled to Milan to finalize the arrangements, but when they fell through, Galeazzo offered Caterina as the new bride, securing the ties between Milan and Rome. The 14-year-old Caterina married Girolamo Riario in 1477, while Milan mourned the sudden death of her father, the duke. Caterina left Milan for her new home in Imola, while Girolamo headed to Rome to serve his uncle, the Pope. Caterina waited patiently for her new husband to send for her and summon her to Rome, but when no such invitation came, she set out anyway, arriving in Rome just in time to celebrate Pentecost and enjoy parties, feasts, and over 12,000 ducats worth of wedding gifts all appropriately grand for the wife of the Pope's right-hand man. Over the next several years, Caterina would bear a number of children, including a son, Ottaviano, while Girolamo's conquest of Forli added a new territory to his holdings. 
Girolamo Riario and Caterina Sforza rode into Forli in splendor, a conquering lord and his lady. But by September of 1481, Forli was becoming dangerous for the couple. Girolamo and Caterina traveled to Venice, and while there, a group of disgruntled artisans, loyal to their former ruler and Forli, planned to assassinate Girolamo and his entire family. Luckily, Girolamo learned of the plot, and when he and his wife returned to Forli, they entered the city surrounded by an army. This setback would prove to be the first of many. By 1482, Italy's many republics and principalities were at war with one another and Girolamo was obliged to spend his time in battle, leaving Caterina alone in Rome. By 1484, Pope Sixtus IV was dead, and Riario power collapsed. Girolamo rode for Rome as soon as he heard the news in the hope of controlling the papal election. When rival armies kept him from entering the city, Caterina, dressed in a gown with a sword and a bag full of money hanging from her waist, rode to seize the papal fortress of Castel Sant'Angelo, driving out rival troops and issuing commands to the remaining soldiers. While Caterina successfully took command of Castel Sant'Angelo for days on end, Girolamo, unable to enter Rome, surrendered in exchange for assurances that the new pope would allow him to remain lord of Imola and Forli. Caterina, unhappy with her husband's unilateral decision to surrender, reluctantly yielded Castel Sant'Angelo to the new pope. When the couple returned to Forli, it was to a humbler, more provincial life. Caterina, bored and missing court life, left to spend a few weeks in Milan in the spring of 1487, but soon had to rush back home. Girolamo was gravely ill. Caterina, fearing the death of her husband while her son Ottaviano was still too young to rule, raced to the nearby Rocca di Ravaldino, a fortress just outside the city's walls that could provide safety and a secure place from which to rule, should the need arise. There was just one problem. The current Castellan had lent Girolamo an exorbitant amount of money and held Ravaldino in lieu of payment. He shouted from the battlements that he would not admit Caterina and would only surrender the fortress to Ottaviano once the debt had been paid. Caterina, heavily pregnant, exhausted, and out of time, arranged to have the Castellan assassinated and for the surrender of Ravaldino to her choice of Castellan. Renaissance Chronicle notes that 1488 was bound to be a bad year. Late in 1487, reports had spread of an especially bright new star in the sky, an earthquake, a comet, and an ill-fated conjunction of planets, all telltale signs of catastrophe, and Caterina's house was not to be spared. On April 14, 1488, members of the rival Orsi family of Forli conspired and successfully assassinated Girolamo in a public square in his own city. A riot ensued. Rebels seized Caterina and her children and looted her palace. In order to seize power easily and legally, 
the Orsi needed Caterina to surrender Ottaviano's claim to the lordship of Forli. She refused. To keep the city from descending into chaos, the conspirators would also need to hold the fortresses around Imola and Forli, including Rocca di Ravaldino. Caterina convinced her captors to let her enter Ravaldino and try to convince the Castellan to surrender face to face. As the gate closed behind her, she turned and shouted obscenities at her captors, who could do nothing but sit and wait. Once inside, Caterina took command of the fortress. One story relates that when the Orsi threatened to kill her children unless she surrendered, she shouted from the battlements that she was already pregnant, a bold lie, and that she could always remarry and make others. The Castellan, her friend Tommaso Feo, joining her on the walls, promised the rebels that any harm to the Riario children would result in him turning the fortress's artillery on the town itself, and then Milan's armies would surely come to defend Caterina. To make his intentions clear, the Castellan fired a warning shot over the crowd, and by the time the smoke cleared, the rebels had disappeared. Caterina had won. From the walls of Ravaldino, she and Tommaso Feo watched the cannons destroy her enemies' houses. The rebels anxiously waited for help to arrive from Florence or Rome, but to no avail. The armies that did arrive were from Milan and Bologna, friendly to Caterina and the Riario family. As the city braced itself for the violence and pillage of mercenary armies, Caterina intervened, saving the people of Forli. By April 30th, a little over two weeks after Girolamo's assassination, the city council pledged their loyalty to Caterina, who immediately set the wheels in motion to do away with them and become sole ruler of Forli and Imola. the widowed Caterina had fallen in love with the young and handsome Giacomo Feo, the brother of Ravaldino's castellan Tommaso. Their affair, secret at first, quickly became obvious, even leading to rumors that they had secretly married. Secure and at peace, living with Giacomo in the safety of Ravaldino, Caterina had begun growing flowers and herbs and gathering recipes for a collection that would later be dubbed Gli Experimenti, the experiments. In the way of a good Renaissance scholar, many of Caterina's recipes build on a long tradition of alchemy. However, unlike the many theoretical or metaphysical texts on alchemy, Caterina's Experimenti is full of recipes for daily practical use, including cosmetics, medicines for the prevention and treatment of illness, methods to create silver from tin or give lesser metals the appearance of gold, a recipe for invisible ink, and, also useful for a Renaissance Italian ruler, recipes for poisons. The first recipe in the book is for a seemingly miraculous water made with talc. In many ways, this first entry captures the spirit of Caterina's Experimenti, combining cosmetic with medicinal purposes and even providing a traditionally alchemical use for the talc water. Caterina writes, 
Talc is a star of the earth with shining scales. It is found on the island of Cyprus and its color is similar to citrine. When seen together in a mass, it appears green, and when viewed against the air, it looks like crystal. It has the following virtues, in addition to others which are not mentioned in this book, which alchemists will desire to learn. First, to make women beautiful and cleanse all spots and marks from the face, so that a 60-year-old woman will appear to be 20. Also, this talc water or a powder made from it, drunk in white wine, cures one who has been poisoned, and whoever has drunk it will be safe that day from poison and from every disease and plague. Also, it is said that this water turns silver to gold and makes false jewels perfect and fine. Following this entry, the Experimenti opens with some 80 recipes for lotions, ointments, powders, perfumes, and waters, whose purpose, according to their descriptions, was to make one beautiful. That the Experimenti begins with cosmetics and beauty aids may speak to the uniquely precarious position in which Grand Renaissance ladies found themselves. Their power often lay in their ability to influence the men around them. Health, beauty, and fertility all supplied that power. To lose just one of these could mean losing everything. Katerina's contemporaries all remarked that she was an exceptional beauty, and there's no doubt that beauty, in addition to courage, helped her command the attention of men. Many recipes written in Caterina's vernacular Italian are dedicated to the creation and maintenance of the long blonde hair, flawless fair skin, and small firm breasts, considered to be the Renaissance ideal. Recipes for hair are given labels like to make hair curly, to make hair long and beautiful, to make hair blonde and like gold, and to make hair blonde so that it lasts for two months. There are likewise recipes for waters for the face, neck, and body, with ingredients and methods of creation ranging from readily accessible and simple to exotic and incredibly complex. The labeled purposes are familiar to any modern cosmetics consumer. To make the face clear as crystal, to wash away wrinkles, to remove unwanted hair, and to make hair appear where you want it. After the cosmetic recipes, the next section is mostly dedicated to health, particularly the prevention and treatment of disease. Here, entries appear in both Italian and Latin, demonstrating Caterina's extensive education and the breadth of her sources. These recipes include cure-alls, like the most approved ointment for all wounds and all bruises, and medicines to treat specific complaints, like earache, stomachache, headache, and burns or the potion for sores on the head when the sore is deep or foul-smelling. Several recipes for sleeping pills also appear in this section, as do recipes for powders to prevent plague. The notes for these recipes often assure the reader that these remedies have already been tried and proven useful. Perhaps even more useful to the de facto ruler of a small provincial territory are the more alchemical recipes at the end of the Experimenti. These are mainly concerned with manipulating currency and are written almost entirely in Latin. For example, one recipe is for a water that makes new silver coins appear old, whether they are stamped or cast. Another promises a reddish water 
to tint coins of copper and silver and also lead and tin with a perfect golden color. Add to this another recipe for red water which dyes everything so that it becomes the color of 24 karat gold, and a pattern begins to emerge. Katerina's Experimenti is quite unlike the philosophical texts on alchemy produced by other Renaissance scholars. She wasn't attempting to discover the elusive philosopher's stone or unlock the secrets of immortality, though there are recipes here that suggest those possibilities. Her more practical alchemy was that of a ruler with swiftly dwindling resources, attempting to create the illusion of wealth. It's fitting, then, that her collection ends not with a cure for plague or a lotion to smooth the skin, but with a recipe for the multiplication of silver. She didn't know it yet, but 1492 would change everything for Caterina. In that year, Pope Innocent VIII, the Pope whose election she'd attempted to prevent nearly 20 years earlier by seizing Castel Sant'Angelo, finally died. In his place, the College of Cardinals elected Rodrigo Borgia, who became Pope Alexander VI. Borgia, who had already fathered several illegitimate children with his mistress, had enormous ambitions for his family. Soon, he arranged for the marriage of his daughter Lucrezia to the powerful Duke of Ferrara, and his son Cesare became captain of the papal armies, tasked with bringing the whole of Italy under papal control. Soon, Imola and Forli were surrounded by hostile armies and fell under Cesare Borgia's rapacious gaze. In August of 1495, conspiracy struck down another of Caterina's husbands. As she and Giacomo Feo returned from a hunt, armed assassins attacked and mortally wounded Giacomo. In revenge, Caterina oversaw the executions of over 30 people, including the wives and children of the conspirators. Alone and in need of support, she then met the charming Giovanni de' Medici il Popolano, who was acting as Florence's emissary to Forli. They married in 1497, but by their first anniversary, Giovanni had grown seriously ill and died, leaving Caterina alone to face the growing Borgia threat. In Rome, Pope Alexander VI allied himself with King Louis XII of France and issued a proclamation granting all lands in the Romagna, including Forli and Imola, to his son, Cesare. By autumn, Cesare Borgia's army had taken Imola. When the citizens of Forli hesitated to support Caterina against the overwhelming French and papal forces, she locked herself away in the fortress that had always served her so well, Rocca di Ravaldino. By December, Borgia had taken possession of Forli and begun the siege of Ravaldino. He offered Caterina her freedom in return for a peaceful surrender but she, predictably, refused. Angered, he offered his mercenaries a massive 10,000 ducat bounty for Caterina, dead or alive. Despite this, Caterina tried to capture him when he ventured too near the fortress to offer terms, but her attempt failed. Alone but for the troops manning the fortress walls, Caterina held out for weeks. When Borgia artillery damaged the walls by day, she oversaw repairs by night. Her courage inspired songs and stories throughout Italy. 
Finally, in January, Borges' army, which had begun firing their cannons at the fortress without ceasing, breached the walls. Katerina fought until the end. When Borges' men finally captured her, it was with weapons in her hands. From one of her former fortresses to another, Caterina was taken to Rome as a prisoner and eventually held in Castel Sant'Angelo. Pope Alexander VI, needing an excuse to hold her there, accused her of attempting to poison him. After a sham trial, she was released at the request of the French in 1501 and traveled to Florence, moving into the Medici villas belonging to her last husband. Pope Alexander VI died just two years later, breaking Borgia power in Italy. Effectively exiled, Cesare Borgia died in an ambush in Navarre in 1507. Unlike many of her male contemporaries, Caterina was able to say she outlived Cesare Borgia. She died of pneumonia in Florence in 1509. Caterina's Experimenti is both a testament to the medical and scientific knowledge available to a learned Renaissance woman and an illustration of her priorities. In addition to the alchemical recipes designed to create wealth, Caterina recognized that health, beauty, and fertility were also powerful tools. Surely her beauty, as well as her courage, captured the attention of the men she commanded at Castel Sant'Angelo and Rocca de Ravaldino. Her bold response to the rebels threatening to kill her children, that she could always remarry and have more, must have rung a little truer coming from a famously beautiful and fertile woman. Caterina left her experimenti to her youngest son, Ludovico de' Medici, and her gift would go on to inspire generations of Medici rulers in Florence, who would become avid patrons of alchemists and other scientists. Today, Caterina is remembered for her remarkable courage and unflagging spirit, having earned the nickname La Tigre, the Tigress of Forli. One of Caterina's contemporaries, Isabella d'Este, wrote of the defense of Ravaldino, If the French condemn the cowardice of Italian men, they must at least praise the daring and valor of Italian women. If you enjoyed today's episode, you can subscribe to Enchanted wherever you listen, and you can help new listeners find us by rating and reviewing Enchanted, The History of Magic and Witchcraft on Apple Podcasts. This episode was produced by me with original music by Purple Planet. You can find them at purple-planet.com. If you want to learn more about Katarina Sforza and her experimenti, be sure to check out the sources link in the show notes. Special thanks to Enchanted's Patreon patrons for supporting the production of this and every episode and helping me keep new episodes ad-free. If you want to support Enchanted, please visit patreon.com slash enchantedpodcast. 
You can get in touch with me via email at enchantedpodcast at gmail.com or follow on Facebook, Instagram, and Tumblr at Enchanted Podcast and on Twitter at Enchanted Pod. As always, for more information and special features, visit enchantedpodcast.net. I'm Corinne Wieben. Thank you for listening and stay enchanted.